I'm Dr Fiona Mackay. Thanks for joining us today. Today we're going to talk about violence and social inclusion. To help us with this discussion, I have Professor Bernie Marshall here with me. Bernie's the Dean of Students here at Deakin and has been intimately involved in leading curriculum and academic development and review in the Faculty of Health, with the overall responsibility for learning and graduate outcomes of about 9,000 students. He's worked extensively with state and local governments around health promotion capacity building and primary prevention of violence against women and reducing race-based discrimination. Bernie, welcome. Thanks, Thanks for being Fiona. here today. So you've recently looked at the evidence around preventing violence, uh, domestic violence and increasing social cohesion. Can you tell us a little bit about the project? Hmm. It's an interesting project. It's come out of a broad-based coalition of all the government departments and agencies uh, in the eastern third of Melbourne. And it's called the Eastern Metropolitan Social Issues Council. And it brings together that broad range of uh, players. And one of the things they did couple of years back, or 18 months back, was to say, let's try to look at the major issues that this region's facing and see if we can have more coordinated and collaborative approaches to that. And so those uh, agencies um, ran some workshops, and coming out of that, the two major issues that they thought that should be high on the priority list were violence in vulnerable communities, and particularly violence against women and families being the most vulnerable of those communities, and social inclusion and community connectedness as the two primary ones. What they asked Deacon to do uh, was to say, tell us what the evidence suggests are effective approaches to those two areas, and then map what's currently happening across the region so that we can see oh, and make a judgment about how well that lines up with the evidence and identify opportunities for better collaboration and coordination across all of the different agencies and services. And so that's the context for this work. So it's really been both a research um, analysis of all of the evidence around these two priority areas, but with a focus on the sorts of populations that are in the eastern uh, region, and then really trying to link that into the current practice mm -hmm. there. So what was happening across the region? What did you find? Well, it's very difficult to map because everybody keeps adding new things all the time. So we did we worked through all initially a document analysis, trying to say when we look at everybody's annual reports, their brochures, their websites, what can we find about all the programs they're running? So we tried to do that. We then sent all that documentation out to all agencies, asked them to suggest other things that should be going into it, and really trying to map it. Some of the key things we were trying to identify were what are the indicators that people use if they're measuring their success, if they're trying to evaluate their programs? Are there common indicators across these agencies? And so one of the big things that we've been trying to identify are what are suitable indicators that if we did have better collaboration, um, we might look at? And this is coming out of a framework that the Victorian government's adopted called Collective Impact. I'm going to say that. Um, and I'm not sure that the name's right. But really it's saying we actually need to identify common problems, look at, um, have good community, have common measures of success, and what are the indicators, and how do we measure the problems, how do we measure progress, and to have those common across different government agencies and services and organisations so that we actually get um, a stitched-up approach where actually we can start to make some measures at regional level rather than just what's each agency doing where it has different sets of indicators and measures yep. for its programs. 
And so were there any common indicators or no. was it? Right. Look, there are clearly some. I mean, if you're looking at violence, then there's a whole range of indicators we could use, you know, police reports, etc. Mm-hmm. You know, lots of things around there, but different agencies had different ones. Some agencies had data. Some of the evidence, is, um, the indicators are not widely available um, or they're not known about. And so having mechanisms by which this could be better shared in the region um, was one of the issues that came up. But there's already a lot of data collection um, happening um, say through police and justice around those issues, a lot of the indicators they have. There are also some major networks in the region. Um, so there's a family violence network and then there's other networks that were running around it. And so part of it has been that there are already people trying to collaborate, but they've got not competing networks, but networks that cover different yep. organisations or uh, areas of that region. So a bit of overlap. So a bit of overlap. And so trying to get some agreement around that yep. has been quite difficult because everybody's wedded to theirs. Um, everybody thinks that their approach is the best one yep. um, or that's what they've got all the evidence around and so they want to keep using that. So trying to get agencies into a position where they're able to look for that. And they all want to do it. So mm-hmm. it wasn't that people were being um, stick in the mud about it. That they, It's just difficult to suddenly swap over and do things differently. Yeah. Great. So you identified a couple of recommendations in your review. Are you able to talk us through any of those? Mm, Sure. Look, for violence, um, the evidence is very clear that the greatest impact on violence and family violence is to promote positive child and youth development. In other words, if we can work with young people, and particularly um, young children, but also early adolescence years, to actually have greater social connectedness, feelings of inclusion, that in fact you get reduced levels of violence. And so um, that would be the primary one. And we say it's the most cost-effective and the highest potential intervention, both to prevent violence and promote social cohesion. So it actually builds into both of those uh, ones. So having really strong um, social connection there is a really important one and mentoring programs, linking people in with people outside their own immediate peer group um, has been really good at building up those connections yeah. and establishing sort of social norms that are not based around violence um, in that. So they target it targets the development of social and emotional competence in children and also builds into that place-based discrimination because a lot of those sorts of issues where people are in very deprived neighbourhoods and communities lead into that sort of social dislocation mm-hmm. and isolation, which then leads into violence as well. Yep. The other major issue and is to target um, gender equity and so a lot, and particularly the women's health movements are very committed to that as being the primary approach we should use. In other words, we need to recognise that violence against women stems from a fundamental imbalance in the power between men and women, mm-hmm. both at, at all sorts of scales. And so looking for ge- better gender equity within schools, workplaces, community organisations, families, um, changing social norms about gender and power relationships um, is a very strong agenda mm-hmm. within that. It probably it's it's more difficult to do if you're working with adult populations, for instance, and so that's why it needs to embed right through from that youth development focus yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of debate around the politics of where alcohol and other drugs fit within this. Mm-hmm. Certainly, for most workers, and they say that alcohol is not a cause of violence. Um, you know, the cause is power relationships. But the evidence is also quite clear that it's, it's a mitigating factor in that. And so when you have power inequalities and social norms that um, 
support violence or support um, women being in less powerful social and um, and um, uh, social setting, uh, social standing, then alcohol becomes a trigger for that. And mm-hmm. so we know it's very clear in, al- in areas of high alcohol use and drug use that you do get higher levels of violence. And yeah. so starting to work around um, alcohol availability within communities mm-hmm. has been a very big one. Yeah. Um, one of the other recommendations, a broader one, was to look at volunteering within the community mm-hmm. and to actually look at the enormous social role of volunteering, particularly volunteering which gets cross-cultural, cross-age, you know, it's people working with um, into contexts that are not just their own familiar bit, mm-hmm. really leads to greater social co- uh, uh, cohesion within those communities and it's a very strong way of building that community um, where children, in fact, will grow up. Yep. The other ones is to say we need better... Um, screening to identify violence Mm -hmm. and so trying to have better and common screening tools across all sorts of services and agencies would in fact allow better interventions um, after violence has occurred so screening um, having clear pathways and clear responses based on that screening one would be important and the same goes for social inclusion when we are trying to identify groups who are socially isolated within the community, how would we screen for those? How would you know where they are and who belongs to those groups, etc.? So having ways of identifying where the problem exists is also quite significant. Yeah, excellent. So I know you've been working with and around domestic violence for a long time and, and it's certainly very prominent in the media and with governments at the moment. Where do you think we are on preventing violence, particularly violence against women or domestic violence? Hmm... It's a hard question to answer because, in fact, we see continuing high levels of uh, violence being reported. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, you'd have to say we make, are making significant ground. When you've got you know, the organisations like the AFL taking on uh, respect and responsibility programs, when you've got um, gender inequality education in schools happening then you are, we are making some substantial inroads into action. Mm-hmm. I think it would... And the, the problem is often we expect that, that action will show results immediately, where this is probably a generational change thing. Yeah. So we do need to invest in these things over time. Mm-hmm. And certainly you can see a clear evidence of <clears throat> all sorts of community and government initiatives mm-hmm. that are trying to address this. And I think we will see some significant gains coming out of it, but it, it isn't something that will happen by next year. Yeah, great. Um, and then finally, with this review that you've done, what does it tell us that we didn't know before? What's new? Um, sorry. I think what's new is, in fact, a, um, a picture of what actually happens within a broad geographic area. And this is nearly a third of Melbourne. Mm-hmm. So what's new in this is to try to identify the agencies and how the agencies operate, the opportunities for um, collective action around these, um, so that we have um, a greater understanding, not so much of the causes of violence, that's well established Mm -hmm. and there's clear evidence around the the sorts of interventions, but how you apply those at population level, how you can apply them um, at cross-organisational levels to get greater cohesive approaches where you can actually value add across all of them or have collaborations and that was the whole purpose of setting up the Social Issues Council. Um, I think those are the sorts of things new. So the science in one sense of the causes of um, family violence are 
are increasing all the time, but, that, but the, the, the novelty in this work has been its capacity of how organisations approach that, how they perceive the problem, what are the issues when they try to collaborate and coordinate their actions. And some of those agencies have very different um, philosophical approaches to these, and so it's been interesting for those organisations to have to work together. Yeah. We haven't spent a lot of time researching how they do it, mm-hmm. but it's been very clear in trying to reach consensus around what the recommendations would be um, that it's, it's a very political issue. Um, and the Royal Commission on Violence um, Against Women has come down with its findings. In one sense, I was quite disappointed with that because the, the level of preventive action in that is very small. Most of it's a responsive thing. What do we do once it's happened? Yeah. Um, and how we need to have that. And, then, and clearly, it's very important to have the sorts of services in, uh, that we need in place when there had violence has occurred. Yeah. Um, but... I was disappointed when the review, and I haven't I've got to say I haven't been through it in detail, but I've read through all the recommendations, and there was only one of them I think that really took uh, how do we prevent this from happening in the first place. So I think what's new is we're trying to have a greater agenda here around prevention and agencies who want to prevent, while at the same time trying to provide all of those tertiary level services mm-hmm. for um, situations where violence is occurring. Yep. So still a bit of work to do. Still a bit of work to do, yeah. Great. All right. Thanks very much for being my guest today. Welcome, Fiona. <laughs>